Welcome to Asray Pod with Amy Quinn and Joe Walsh. This week, we welcome Tara Pimko of Asray Park's Hot Mess Studio and talk about how a small storefront salon became the premier destination boutique anchoring press plaza on Cookman Avenue and how some quick thinking not only kept the lights on during the early days of the pandemic, but allowed the business to hit the ground running when things began to reopen. Welcome, Tara. The matters addressed in this podcast represent my own personal views and opinions concerning issues affecting the citizens of Asbury Park in my capacity as the deputy mayor of the city of Asbury Park. They do not necessarily represent the official position of the city or the official position of the Asbury Park City Council as a whole. I am developing and implementing this podcast in an effort to keep citizens informed. However, this is not an official City of Asbury Park podcast and does not, and I repeat, does not represent the official position of the city or the governing body. Their interviews always hit the mark, so subscribe to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Be informed, don't be in the dark. Everybody listen to Asbury Park. I mean, pod. Everything you need to know. Brought to you by Amy and Joe. If you're local, they're the pod for you. But Bennies are welcome and Shoebies too. Route 35 to Convention Hall. Asbury Pod covers it all. Asbury Pod, I love you. I love you. Welcome, Asbury Pod listeners. It is April 11th. Um, I'm Amy Quinn. I'm Joe Walsh. And we are guest today's uh, Tara uh, Pimco from Hot Mess. Hi, everybody. And I'm going to okay. ask Joe real quick how his week was, and <laughs> so, then we'll roll. Or the I same, don't have to ask him. It's the same week. answer every week. It's just crazy. Yeah, but you're busy. I, yeah, but I saw you were in a Borgata, so I guess you're you're you won a million dollars. Oh God, if only. Yeah, I went to the Borgata. I did um, the poker room. It was terrifying, and I nearly shit myself, but I survived <laughs> two hours of it. And again, just confirmed, I'm a terrible poker player. We need to have a poker player. On Asbury Pod, I was trying to think of who that could be who could help make me a non-terrible poker player. But because Mike I was Pimco. at the bar, is he a good poker player? He's he incredible. Oh, uh, because he doesn't live here. Yeah, yeah, it has to be Asbury Tie. Is he? But I may no. take him up on that separately. Yeah, no, he would. He's, Pod. he's an incredible poker player. No, Amy, we, we could do it because this is your quest to be Asbury Park's first professional poker player. So. I would love, you know, I'm trying to get out of the rat race. This is, that's my next gig. My next gig is, of course, I have to get good at this gig in order that's, to It's to a pretty it, stressful you know, gig to jump into. So. And this, po- the Borgata poker room is no joke. So I, I, of course, don't realize that because I'm not a poker player. But you walk in and it's like people are screaming at you to take your chair. It was the first time I'd ever played in person. I've only played online and taught myself during the pandemic. This poor guy next to me, like a grandfather, like, oh, oh, little lady, don't do that. Or don't do that. Gets screamed at by other people at the table for helping me. Right. Because they're right. And then he's so sweet. He makes this experience so lovely for me. So when I'm leaving, I go to give him the rest of my chips because it was just something I just wanted to I just wanted to do the experience. You know, I didn't I didn't care about winning. I just wanted to sit through an hour or two in the Borgata poker room and not shit myself. (laughs) And so I had done that. And so I went to give him my chips and apparently that's a big no, no (laughs) in the poker rooms. You don't just hand other people your chips. 
and I was doing it just to say thank you for making this experience. <laughs> not so horrible for me. Um, so then everybody got up in arms about that. And now, of course, I'm convinced I got COVID. It'll be what it'll be. So anyway, that was my week. Okay, moving on to more interesting. Let's talk about stories. our guests. But if we have any listeners, other than Mike, who I might privately, privately contact about poker, if we have any Asbury Park residents who play poker, you know, I could do Robert Wiener. Robert Wiener is actually very good at poker. So Robert, if you're there, you go. Listening, we just outed Robert as a as a big time shark. Yes. Amy, when okay. when do you practice your poker face? So it's online. I don't need one, but John Moore is also <laughs> concerned about that. He thinks I'm, I, I'm. He thinks I would be like this, like good hand or bad hand, <laughs> which is probably exactly my poker play, face, right? Or like, oh, damn it. Um, we should anyway. have Tara. We should have Tara back to interview you when you become a professional poker player. I would love to. Seem to know. know exactly what the, the problem is in advance. All the things. Yeah. Did you shit your <laughs> pants this week? <laughs> Did you give your chips away? Were you screamed out of the room? <laughs> it's a really terrifying room. I have to tell you that. And I'm not, I'm no wallflower. You know, I'll, I, I can go tit for tat with people, but that room, I just was like, yeah, whatever anybody wants me to do, I'll do. I'm, I'm too scared to say a word. Um, okay. Anyway, so ta we are very happy to have Tara from Hot Mess here. I'm so and happy to be here. Yes. Thank you for taking time out of your day today. And we want you to introduce yourself. Um, you know, Tara, I have to say, one of the reasons we wanted you on the show is most of us in this pandemic are barely getting out of bed and showering. You, however, are expanding and exploding. So kudos to you for really showing the rest of us who can barely get out of bed. Um, Thank you. What, how to do it, how to do it. So your intro into Asbury, did you come here as a kid, as a teenager? So I grew up in Wanamassa. Okay, the streets so, of Wanamasa. Streets of Wanamasa. Um, an Ocean Township kid, and my whole family grew up in Asbury Park. Essentially, like all my aunts and uncles, I have a big family, um, and my grandmother used to do a, a dinner every Saturday night. So we would kind of sit around the table as kids and hear all these stories about Asbury Park and their shenanigans growing up, and just like how amazing it was. And sort of like how sad it became for a while. So um, I don't know. I always just kind of was like fascinated by what it was and um, the beauty of the buildings and just something about it was mysterious. And I wanted to I wanted to be a part of it at some point in my life. And like as a teenager, were you going to um, or or somebody in teenager in your 20s, were you going to um, like Fastlane or any of the or um, any of the places in Esbury that people seem to go to? I, I wasn't as a teen. I think we're nearish the same age and I wasn't as a teenager. So I had gone, you know, uh, the Warp Tour was in, in Asbury, like Vans Warp Tour. So I went to that and kind of sneak out and go to concerts at the Stone Pony because my my dad was like, you are not going to the Stone Pony and you're not, definitely not going to Asbury Park at night. And of course I was like, okay, <laughs> I'm sleeping out tonight at my girlfriend's. Um, so I'm going to go to bed early. I mean, I don't think I bother to, to call and check. I think there were some raves that maybe I went to in the nineties uh, in convention hall. And there was some other like crazy club in Asbury, you know, covered in glitter went to, um, <laughs> But, you know, and I, 
I was laughing thinking about like coming on here and, and the story that, you know, when I was trying to take the the bigger space um, downtown and I had to come to the council and, and get permission essentially and put, you know, a petition before the council to, to get it passed and, and be able to move over there. <laughs> I remember telling the story about being like a little girl and coming to the boardwalk and riding the carousel and going to bubble lands and my Easter bonnet <laughs> so I just got like laughing about it. But I mean, I essentially grew up here, you know, like I remember coming to the criterion chocolate shop and when the Asbury ocean place was the esplanade and just seeing that building sitting there for years and years. Um, so it's so magical to kind of have been part of the last decade of Asbury park when it's really come to be this magnificent place again. And Tara, so you didn't start in the big space. You started in on you started on Cookman, but in a smaller space. Yeah, I had a little tiny space um, that I took. It's actually it was last weekend was my 12 year anniversary of being in Esbury Park. Um, 2009, I took that space, and it was <sighs> I'd heard about these um, artists live work loft spaces in Asbury that were happening where you could like live in a space but it could also be like a commercial space and like do your art and so I was like okay so hair is art and could I find one of these spaces um I was a single mom I was still living at home with my dad and my daughter and she would go to her dad's on the weekends and I was like all right so I could have like a little place where I could work and then I could like go there on the weekends and stay there and you know be a 20 something and I was friendly with um, Ernesto Caleri at the time. And I called him and I said, you know, do you know anything about these places? Because I knew he was down here. And um, he said, well, I don't know anything about it, but I have a friend. And why don't you meet me downtown and I'll introduce you. And maybe he knows something about it. So we met at America's Cup. And he introduced me to Pat Scavino. And we had coffee and we talked and he's like, I, you know, I love this idea. And I think, you know, it would be really cool to have you downtown. Um, I was also working for the Springsteens at the time. I was doing Patty's hair um, pretty regularly and working in a salon in Red Bank. So I have to tell you, that's how I heard, because, you know, everybody's obsessed with the Springsteen, although just for the record, I'm not, but no, I don't, I'm not, I don't love them. You know, I don't have an opinion right. one way or the other about Right. Good music. Um, yeah, it's fine. <laughs> um, I'm no music expert either. So it's not like I should, you know, mm -hmm. hold myself up as, as anybody who knows good music from bad music. Right. I, I'm like an Indigo Girls listener. So, um, <laughs> so I have to say when you were coming in 09 and I don't know how it got to me. I mean, well before I was ever on the council, but it had gotten to me that the woman who does Patty Springsteen's hair was coming to Asbury Park. I kid you not. I was like, oh, okay. great, great. And Patty's hair is pretty luxurious, right? It's uh, yeah, uh, she's got famous hair. I yeah, think, uh, famous I've red seen hair. Bruce a million times. So I'm the opposite of I'm, I'm the opposite of. <laughs> You're a total fangirl. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I'm a fangirl, right? Of Patty, right, <laughs> right. But, uh, but I, um, because when you see her. When you see Bruce live, you're really far away, right? But her hair is like visible from 
wherever yeah. you are. So it's, uh, I, it's when you mentioned that, I was like, I was like, oh yeah, Patty's got some pretty spectacular hair. So yeah, like, she has had a, some great hair. You had a good, re- good resume to start with. Right? Yeah. So working was- in Red Bank and is the goal while you're working in Red Bank to have your own place? Yeah, I just kind of like, I was ready to, I'd had a salon before that I owned and I made a lot of mistakes and I sold it. And then my very dear friend had this salon in Red Bank and he's like, well, just come work here until you figure it out. And I was kind of trying to figuring it, figure it, trying to and figure it out. And when you say you made a lot of mistakes, like what do you, what do you mean? Like, I, you know, I was young. You didn't and know I didn't, what you were doing. Yeah. I didn't know what I was doing. You know, I wanted like a little cool salon where I could like do hair and, um, you know, I wanted to decorate it. <laughs> but I had no idea about like commercial leases or that, you know, if the furnace breaks, like you're responsible for fixing it or plowing the parking lot, if it snows and, you know, so like all that stuff happens. <laughs> and I'm and assuming you were young. Cause you were, I, I was mean, young. I was, I was like 23 or 24 when I had my first salon. And I mean, that's huge. Yeah, it was huge. <laughs> It was a huge learning experience, um, but it was good, you know, like, and I, I always say that even though it wasn't a success, it was, it was one of the greatest successes because I gained so much from it. And I learned so much about myself and about like what it really meant to own a business and how to take care of people and how to manage and balance like work and home life. Right. So like my dad was, my dad's like my best friend and we're so close. And it was at a time when my older daughter, Sophia was really little. And I was just like trying to figure it out. And he was like, well, why don't you come home and let me help you? So I I went home and that's when I opened this little salon. And, you know, it's just, like I said, it was, it was a lot, it was a lot to manage. So I sold it. I went back to work for my friend in Red Bank. I went and took some business classes. I took some accounting classes. Um, I just kind of like did my research and I actually had launched, wanted to launch a business. It was a a makeup line called hot mess makeup. And it was going to be kind of like a rock and roll Mary Kay where like you do house parties or invite people to come and then teach them how to do makeup and, and so on and so forth. And that's why I was looking for this little artist live workspace because I wanted to be able to do bridal. I did a lot of weddings. I was doing this makeup line and I just thought how cool would it be to have a little space where I could like set it all up, work out of that space and then like meet my brides that I was going to be doing on location or whatever. So I met Pascavino and he was like, well, I don't have anything like that, but I have another friend. Let me call him and see if he'll come down here. Maybe he has something. So he called Pafasano. <laughs> And Papasano came to the coffee shop. So it's me and the three guys. And Papasano's like, well, I don't have an artist live workspace, but I have this space on Cookman Avenue. It's like a couple doors down if you want to look at it. It was a salon. And I was like, okay. So this was like a Saturday or a Sunday. And I went to see the space and it was like a salon. It was small, but it was, you know, it was like not what I was thinking I wanted. And it was cool. It was like, you know, right in the heart of downtown. And, you know, I said, thank you so much, but I think I'm going to pass. I just like, I don't know if I'm ready to get into like being in a full salon again. Like I kind of had a bad experience with my other one and whatever. 
So I went to work in the salon that I, in Red Bank that Tuesday morning. And there was some kind of like mistake or something with the IRS. And they came, <laughs> they came and like locked the doors. And I'm not Sounds exactly like a, not a small mistake. <laughs> <laughs> <A little boo-boo. laughs> Something happened with the, the so salon however owners. that story was gonna go, I did not I wasn't <laughs> seeing that coming. So they came and they locked down their salon and we were all kind of like, okay, so what do we do now? And everybody was scrambling and trying to like get their belongings and like some clients had color on their hair and the owners were like nowhere to be found. They just like, no one could get in touch with them. We were all just kind of like collect. They said, you have an hour basically to collect your belongings and like let the color process and we're going to lock the doors. And I was like, oh my God, what am I going to do? And I just was like, oh my God, oh my God. And then like the light bulb went off and I was like, I saw this place like three days ago. So I called Pat Fasano and I said, Hey, is that space still available? <laughs> and he <laughs> laughed at me and he's like, it's Asbury. Of course it's still available. Yeah. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, I think I would like to have it. He's like, okay, come by on Friday and I'll give you a key. And I was like, that's it. He's like, it's Asbury. That's it. Just come get a key on Friday. My office is blah, 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 main street. And I was like, oh, Okay. So I met him on Friday and he gave me the key and I gave him a check for like, I don't know, $850. <laughs> this was the Asbury in 2009. And he's like, okay, bye. And I was like, well, should I get a lease or something? He's like, oh yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, you know, Susanna, write up a lease. And I was like, okay. He's like, come by next week and I'll give it to you. And I was like, So like I went and I had my keys and I went and opened the door and I like turned the lights on and I'm sitting there on the floor and I'm like, what did I do? (laughs) But I was like, all right, it's sink or swim. Right. So I did it. And And did it have chairs and the hookup and all of that already there? There was like the sink hookup was there. There was nothing on it. It was completely empty. And in fact, like, I think he had somebody in there for a little while and there were like holes in the walls or like whoever the last tenant was like, it was a disaster. And I was kind of like, what did I get myself into? But I called a bunch of my friends and everybody like came to help and we painted and we, I had some furniture left over from the old salon and in like two months I had it open. <laughs> so I wow. signed the lease February of 09 and then first Saturday, which is, you know, used to be a thing. First Saturday of April, um, I opened Hot Mess Studio. And can I ask, how did the name come? Cause you'd had that, was your first studio named Hot Mess? No. So it was the makeup line. Okay. We were trying to come up with a name for this makeup line that I was launching. And, um, I have like a really big family. My cousins were all really, really close. Um, and we were, I asked them all to like get together and help me come up with a name. And I had the logo and I was just trying to figure out like what I wanted to call it. And after a significant amount of wine, there was some like back and forth about the name and my cousin, Jackie, who actually is, um, one of my business partners now, 
um, she's like, well, you're a hot mess. Why don't you call it hot mess? And I was like, you're a bitch. Why don't yes. you shut up? And <laughs> my, older, my older cousin was like, not a bad name. And I'm like, are you taking her side? And it was like, okay, okay. Like maybe we've had too much wine. Like, let's all just like sleep on it and see how Tara feels tomorrow. And I woke up and I was like, God damn it. That's a really good name. <laughs> so, so that's it. It's, it's hot mess from my cousin, Jackie. Who Sounds thought like you were the, a hot mess. There <laughs> should be more uh, business meetings conducted by, you know, family uh, quorum. Yeah. And wine. <laughs> and wine. Well, yeah, wine. Maybe just wine. You can get the family members out. Uh, well, you guys don't have business meetings with wine. No. <laughs> Could you, you imagine a council meeting with all of us drinking? Oh my I mean, god. It might be it might be nicer. It'd be interesting. It'd be well, interesting. Least, that's like for they, sure. If you gave out like cups of wine on the way in. <laughs> you should uh well when now that marijuana is legal, you guys should do that instead. You just like fishbowl the uh calm calm down the, the whole conference the whole room. Day. No. Well, half of I, us because the council's full of older people. So half, like I would start to doze after two or three glasses of wine. <laughs> um I have a Tara, I have a question. Um how di- uh you it's about the you know, more the, the, the profession in general. How yeah. uh, difficult is it to become a hairstylist? It is not an easy process, right? Like so just, the training is uh, you know a year, two years. It's it's, it's a pretty intensive um yeah, it depends on where you go to school. Um, like the public schools, like the vocational schools are generally like done as like a year of high school is done or like a year of like regular um, school. So each state is different. And in the state of New Jersey, it's a 1200 hour requirement. So private schools can break it up into a longer period of time because maybe it's just like you go three hours a night or a couple days a week because it's like you're working or whatever. Um, so it just depends on the structure of the school. But I've always been like a big believer that what you learn in beauty school is not really what you like use when you're in the field. Um, I think a lot of what you learn to be a great stylist. I mean, you have to have some sort of like natural ability, but I think what you really learn is like when you get to be an apprentice and you're assisting and you're, you're watching people that are actually doing the real work, um, in the field. Well, I think that's Yeah. With anything else, even, um, graduate from engineering school, nobody's going to let you build a bridge. You're going to carry coffee for the people who are building the bridge for a couple. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So I say, so there's like, there's an apprenticeship, right. Or a period where you're learning from experienced people. And the reason I asked is that, you know, it's a, it's a challenging business to start, but it's a good, it's a good way to get to be, if you're interested in owning your own business, it's a great Mm -hmm. way to get into it. Like if you have an interest in hair, there's a, there's a pathway supported by the public school systems and uh, you at least in the Votech. Mm-hmm. Uh, track. It's a it's a way for people to earn a living, or get training to earn a living and become an independent business person. It's a, I, I was, it, um, it's a pathway that was interesting to me. My great grandfather was a was a barber for coal miners up uh, near in Scranton, uh, you know, Scranton, Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Yeah. And you know, in the middle of the depression, um, even a coal miner would pony up a nickel to get his hair cut before church. Uh, so. Right. There was always income because it was in uh, it was just a good good profession. And uh, anyway, so I just realized that the state has a lot of regulations and there's a lot of training. But it's also not something. Well, uh, you can't just jump into it. But the state does make you can learn it. You know, if you really 
if you're really interested, if there is a schooling pathway in the public school system and these private uh, cosmetology schools, cosmetology schools also, but Anyway, Definitely. that was a side sidetrack. Sorry, I just slowed well, down. <laughs> there's a good there's a good point there too because I think a lot of people think like you have to go to these like very expensive prestigious beauty schools to like be able to work in a great salon or or get what you need. But like the vocational schools, like I'm such a huge fan of, and all trades because I feel like there's so many people. Like for me, like I dropped out of high school. Like I just it, I wasn't like a like on a learning path that was the norm for everyone else. And I did really well on my SATs. Like I, I think I went out the night before and I never took a prep class and I, you know, got somewhere in like the 1300s, like right out of the gate. And I just like was bored to tears in high school and just didn't want to be there and barely showed up. And then I think like halfway through my senior year, my guidance counselor was like, even if you finish this year, you have too many lates and absences. So you're going to have to repeat it. And I was like, (laughs) I'm going to do another year of this. Like there's not a shot. So um, I convinced my mom to sign me out of school. Not my dad, because my dad definitely would not have done it, but I convinced my mom to sign me out of school. And I, I went and got my GED and I, I went right to Brookdale and I was taking, you know, I went right to college and was taking classes and I, I loved it because it was just a different way. Right. And so there's a lot of kids out there that I feel like get kind of caught in this like traditional learning system and kind of get lost in in the mix of all of it. And then there's these like great vocational programs where they can learn a trade and come right out of this trade and be working and like- And own your own business too. Doing so well. Yeah. 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 I also think I- Oh, go ahead, Jeff. No, no, no. I'm good. I'm good. No, I was just going to say, so I have crushing law school debt and I didn't learn how to be a lawyer in law school at all. I learned it mm-hmm. when I was hired and then followed around the attorneys um, in my office all day and figured out, you know, where they went to do the research and how they assessed the case. And, you know, none of that came from law school. And between the crushing debt of that and people who are coming out like as pl- like I have a wonderful plumber and electrician, a.k.a. if either of you need a plumber or electrician, but mm. like we talk about it all the time, like no crushing school debt and make like quadruple what I make in the, in the nonprofit world. So kudos, well, kudos. Yeah, yeah, carpenters, electricians, pipe fitters. I, you know, I was in the construction laborers union and the thing we wanted to be with the pipe fitters, like how do you get in that union? Right. Those, you know, it's like, so it's a good trade at a high school. It's mm-hmm. hard work though. And so as is hair. And uh, I think there's a pathway in education to that. Yeah. I don't think everyone, not everyone wants to be in, um, and I work at Rutgers University. It's my, you know, it's my job, but not everyone wants to be there. And yeah. not, not everyone wants to spend a lot of money to be there. The best advice, I had a student, like similar to you in high school, I had a student come see me. He was miserable. He's like in some English class, he was dying. He's like, I don't, really, I, I don't really want to be here. And he, I was like, what do you want to do? He's like, I want to be a barber. And I said, well, Rutgers is not going anywhere. Take the take the $15,000 you're going to spend with us yeah. and get your license. I never saw that guy again. I think he has his own place. Like it was the best, you know, it's a great way to, anyway, so I've sidetracked the conversation, but I just wanted to ask about like the, the training process. And I didn't mean to like turn this into a sort of a referendum on education. <laughs> but well, I think it's a- no, but it's, I mean, it's great and it's important, you know, and it's, I have a like 30 essentially kids on my staff. I mean, I think I've got like four or five adults, <laughs> but like for the most part, like I have all young 20 something kids and it's something it's important. And it's something that, you know, I try to talk to them about too. And I think, um, you know, part of my success and why I'm growing now is because I love what I do. 
Like I love doing hair, but I love being a leader and I love having these kids that work for me and like taking all of my experiences and the things that I've done in my life and the mistakes and the highs and the lows and everything I've learned and try to give that back to them so they can grow and succeed. And I feel like there's something so magical just happening and growing. And it's like, like this morning, like I woke up at six 30 and I was like, Oh, it's Sunday morning. Like I can't wait to go to work. Like I, I genuinely feel that way every single day. And I feel so incredibly grateful for like the opportunities that I've gotten in the last, you know, 12 years in Asbury Park and, and even before that, because, you know, some of the greatest successes that I have and everything that is happening right now is because of things that maybe didn't work in the past or mistakes or, you know, just something, some bump along the way that like you pick yourself up, you dust yourself off. What do you take away from it? How can you make yourself better? And how do you keep growing and evolving? And how can I bring more people along with me on this journey? And it's just been extraordinary. I think any woman who constantly asks themselves, like, how can I bring more people along with me on this journey is always um, such good people. Um, And we should, every woman should be asking themselves that uh, daily. I digress. Amy, Um, (laughs) I I do do want to bring this up because this, this is another episode of like women owned business in Asbury Park, you know, with with something about Asbury Park that has a good number of of women owned businesses Mm -hmm. where they're just knocking it out of the park, you know, one after the other is a very high concentration. And I don't know if that, maybe it's elsewhere. And I just didn't notice, but I just, every success, so many successful businesses right along Cookman in that corridor are women owned and, and driven. And, and as you mentioned, um, you, you, uh, you women, women leadership too. So it's not just, you know, it's mentorship, it's supporting other businesses. It's, it's a very interesting dynamic. That's, that's sort of sprung up in this, like in that, that co- commercial corridor. And we counted them when we were, we had to cancel the women's convention of 2020, but we had this Mm. convention planned with women. We were mapping out women's businesses so we could hand people um, a map to say, Mm. stop by whatever toast, hot mess, paranormal. And I mean, it was like 80% of the businesses were either owned by women or partly owned by women. It was a really, really big, big amount of people, but I want to move. Yeah, it's really good. Mm -hmm. So just moving smaller salon, bigger salon. That happened a couple of years. You, you got in 2000, April of 2009, you're, you're in the smaller space and then you mm-hmm. move into the Passion Group building. Yeah, in uh, 2017. Okay, so you were, in two, you were in that space from 2009 to 2017. Wow. Yeah, eight years. Wow. Yeah, eight years. So you expand into the Passion Group. Pretty uneventful, nothing major. I mean... I went from 1,200 square feet into 4,000 square feet. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that place is huge. I've never been in there, but I've been huge. outside this uh, no, space. I've actually when been I, in know. there. People actually don't realize, like, it just keeps going, like, back, back, far, far into the back. And now I've taken on another 2,000 square feet. So by the time, you know, we hopefully get approval to take the walls down and put more sinks in, it's going to be just, like, this massive, ongoing, beautiful place. Four, so you you're go, you went from two to four, and now you're you you're you added another two, so six thousand square feet. Mm-hmm. Holy cow! Yeah, it's a lot of hair. It's a lot of hair. <laughs> it's a lot of weddings. Ah, 
Yeah. Yeah. And I want to get into that. So, but first I want to talk about a couple things. I want to talk about uh, January, February, March of 2020 and, and when it's starting to bubble, like, you know, we've talked to a wide range of businesses, some like realizing it in like December, Jackie Sharp from Purple Glaze, and then other businesses like Catsbury, they were inundated with a ringworm epidemic. So they didn't even, you know, they weren't even like COVID wasn't on their radar in February and March because they were trying to get rid of ringworm. Oh my God. Yeah. So, so but, such um, an interesting cats, range the, of the not, cats. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, not the people, oh that's the cats. good. We love Catsbury. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We love Catsbury. But it, their story is so interesting because they were like, we were like surviving this ringworm thing. We weren't like, not, not, of course, they knew COVID was happening, but they didn't get right. the gravity because they were busy trying to get rid of ringworm from like 30 cats. Right. So, so, so what's your experience at the beginning? So I actually had surgery in the middle of February. Um, I had, uh, had a pretty big surgery and I was out of work, um, for six weeks. So I was kind of like home watching it unfold. And I was just kind of like, is this here? Is it coming here? Is it like a thing? Is it, have I had too much medicine? Like, you know, what's going on? And, um, I was like, so excited to get back to work and like back into like, you know, I was like, I can't sit on the couch for another day. And, and then the, the St. Patrick's day parade happened, And there was like a lot of like weird, like, what's, you know, like the news had just started to really explode. And it was like that week, and Russell from Watermark is one of my best friends. And he and I were talking a lot that week. And, um, you know, he has a lot of friends in Europe and he was like, oh, you know, it's terrible over there. And they're like, you know, you don't even know what's about to happen. And, you know, America's crazy for not like taking better precautions. And then he, I think that following Sunday, he closed Watermark early. He like put a notice on Instagram and I called him and we kind of had that same conversation. My nail tech, Simone, called me and said that her last client that she saw works in a doctor's office and was getting her nails done like face to face and said that two of the girls in her office had COVID. And she was like, why are you here? Right. <laughs> like in her, oh. you know, in her head. And she called me and she was like, she just sat here and told me that like two people in her office have this like virus and like, you know, and I was like, that's it. So I made the call that day because I was like, if people are just going to keep coming into the salon and not being careful and safe and like, they don't care about my staff, like that's it. I'm closing the doors until like we know something more. So that was Sunday and made the decision to close. And Russell and I talked and he said, you know, you're a big leader in this industry. Like you have a huge salon in Monmouth County. Other little people are going to be looking to you as an example. And so if you close, they're going to, you know, hopefully follow suit. And sure enough, like that, you know, I think a lot of people that I knew decided to close like Monday and Tuesday. And then like they made the call and that was it that week. And that was like, we're going to flatten the curve in two weeks. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> we <laughs> talk about that a lot. Yeah. Um, we, had, we, had a, we had a big laugh. Like, what are you going to wear for the one year anniversary of the flattening of the curve? <laughs> yeah. 
Their Halloween costume. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it was just like, okay, we're going to get through these two weeks and like, just see what happens. Um, which I was kind of like, honestly, I was like a little relieved because I still felt like I wasn't ready to like get back to work from my surgery. So everybody so. says that they, I cannot tell you how many businesses say we thought it would be a couple of weeks. And I was like looking forward to this reprieve. Like I cannot yeah. tell you how many businesses yeah. have repeated that mantra of like, I thought I'd be off for a couple of weeks and I would get to like rest up a little bit, which mm-hmm. probably says something that we should reflect on as our society of how fast we were going before. Right. It was like, go, 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 go. Well, that's, that's definitely been a huge reflection of mine, even though mine I'm like as well. crazy you and me full speed ahead. But, um, oh my gosh, like I, I know so many people that were like, this was like the worst year of my life. This was like the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. <sighs> And I actually loved last year, (laughs) which I know that sounds crazy, but like, I was so grateful to like have the time. And like, I got to spend time with my girls because I was like this crazy working maniac for like the last four years. Like I went from 1200 square feet, four employees and maybe like 70 weddings to like 4,000 square feet and 30 employees. And like right now we have almost 200 weddings booked for this year. Um, and it was just, it's always kind of been like full steam ahead and like, I got to keep going. And I built a salon and spa down in LBI for a hotelier the summer before and like gave up a trip that, you know, a family trip that we were supposed to go on and just was like, I got to work. I got to work. I got to keep building. I got to keep growing. You know, like I got to shatter the glass ceiling. I got to do all the things. So like, I got all this, like, just gift of time with my daughters. Um, and my little one is five and Sophia is going to college this year at the university of Alabama. So like, I got this like amazing gift of time. And then I guess it was like a month in and it was like getting worse and getting worse. And then it was time to just kind of figure out a plan. And so a couple things, what was your plan? And also like, I know, it felt like salons were at the bottom of the list of priorities from the state. It was like the state was doing this and the state was doing that. And I, and I'll give the Senator Gopal um, kudos because I kept being like, you know, we have so many salons, yoga studios, like all of these places that you're not giving us any direction on. Mm-hmm. So, so you realize you're going to be closed longer than a couple of weeks. We are never going to flatten the curve really for, anytime soon. Mm-hmm. And um so your plan so so what are you what's going through your head in terms of a plan? So <clears throat> I think the most important thing for me was you know communicating with my staff. And I felt like there were so many businesses that just were like in a panic and weren't like communicating and even if I didn't have like any information or like any idea what I was going to do, I just still made sure that I was constantly in contact with my team. And so that they knew, like, we're all in this together. You know, this is happening to everyone. We're going to figure it out. Like, I'm like, my boots are on. Don't worry. And we all just really like supported each other through all of it. And like, I I can't say enough about my team because they're just extraordinary. And like I said, most of them are kids, but they're just like, I've, feel so incredibly lucky and grateful, um, for them. But 
um, I don't know. I just, I started to look at what other states were talking about and doing and who was going to, you know, get open and how are they going to get open and how are we going to, you know, do this? Um, I also had a sales rep for one of the product lines that I carry put together this group of salon owners that met every week. And it was like a mastermind of Monmouth County salon owners or just like New Jersey salon owners. And we all sort of like took down the walls of competition and shared all of our best practices and talked about everything that we could possibly talk about to help each other. And it was extraordinary. And so it was just like, when you're not competing with your peers and you're like lifting each other up and supporting each other, like really incredible things happen. So that was like one of the big things that really kind of charged me up and got me moving forward. Um, And one other thing that you did, I thought that was brilliant during it is you did the kits. So that you were right. Yeah. You, I was like, Oh my God, that's brilliant. That, to deal with roots. So anyway, just describe that, how you, how you, how you got that going. So the first thing that I did was actually these beauty emergency kits because people couldn't get like nail clippers and like, you know, things that most, like some people would have at home, but didn't. And so like, I tried to think of like, what are some things that people would want right now? So we did like face masks and like under eye gels and nail clippers and tweezers and um, shampoos and conditioners and just like all these things in this beauty emergency kit to make people like feel really good at home when they couldn't like go to the stores and get the things that they needed or, you know, they couldn't like shipping was a mess. Um, So that was the first thing. And then you know, we had a lot of clients that were like, I'm going to, you know, do my hair at home and what should I, what color? And I was like, we're going to get back to the salon. Like, don't anybody go crazy. Like nobody's seeing you. (laughs) And my husband actually said, you know, I bet there's women that are, are like really gray and their husbands have never seen them without their hair colored. And they're starting to freak out because they're like at home 24 seven with their spouses. And now all of a sudden, like they're out of lipstick and they have gray hair. (laughs) And I was like, Oh my God, like my whole like thing about the salon and hot mess is like, look hot, even if you feel like a mess. Right. So like, how can they feel good on the inside if they don't feel good about the way they look? you know, and that's like been my whole, <laughs> like my whole thing, my, you know, forever. And I was like, wow, like I didn't want to give these kits out because like, I didn't, you know, I was like, am I feeding into vanity or like, you know, why does anybody need a kit in a pandemic right now? But if you can just feel good, just like a little bit, like maybe it can help these people get through this. Right. And so that, that was like, okay, now we have to do this. So we put together a form and we put it on the website and we started building these kits and it was like crazy. And it wasn't just hair color. It was like shampoo and conditioner and like styling products. And like, it was this whole like assembly line of like a couple of the girls that worked with me and we would go to the salon and we pack up these bags and like, we'd get on zoom calls with people and like, we, you know, show them how to like paint the color on and like all the directions and everything. And it was, it was like, 
I had a purpose again. Like I had something to do. And like the kids would come to the salon with me and we'd all just be there in our masks and be like packing up these kits. And we had this whole, like you'd open like the outside doors and then we'd have the table and the vestibule. And then the clients would come take the bag with their name on it. And it was generating revenue, you know, like it wasn't that much, but it was, you know, going to keep the lights on and pay the bills and give us something to do and keep us in contact with our lifeline, with our clients, you know, and then we were making people feel good about themselves again. No, I thought they were, I saw that online. I thought it was so brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. I thought it was totally brilliant. Now, when did salons start to open and how did you prepare for that? So I basically started preparing like way before we knew we were going to get open. And and it, it seemed to me like it wasn't going to be for a long time. Like I wasn't even sure if it was going to be like July or August. I had no idea, but um, I think Tennessee was like the first state to come out with like a really solid plan about how to get like all their businesses open. And it was called the Tennessee pledge. And a lot of people were talking about it, like on like the news radios and, and different um, like media outlets about how Tennessee put out this plan to get their businesses open. So I it was like 50 pages and I downloaded it and printed it out and like started just going through and highlighting. And as more States started to kind of do things, I think like Colorado open Georgia, open salons, Colorado. Um, I think California had like put out some guidelines and I just kind of started looking at, at everything that everybody else was doing. Um, this group of owners, we talked about like HVAC systems and, hospital level sanitation machines and UV light sanitizers and sterilizers and, and just different things that were like from other places, not necessarily salons that we could maybe implement into our salons. Um, and that's really what I did. I looked at like other, what other like sanitizing businesses, like hospitals, doctor's office, medi spas, like what they were doing on the regular and how we could sort of like kick it up a notch within the salon atmosphere to really come back and be safe. And that was like a huge priority for me. So I wanted to keep my staff safe. I wanted to be safe. I wanted to keep my staff safe. And I wanted to make sure that our clients felt like they were coming into a space where they didn't have to worry about anything except what color they wanted their hair to be or how many inches they needed to cut off or like, you know, if their eyebrows were you know, giant bushy eyebrows and they needed them waxed. So I wanted to make sure everything was taken care of. And I knew that if I waited until New Jersey said you can open, I would never be able to get the things that I needed. So I started like ordering things like way in advance so that when they said you can open, I would be completely ready. When was that? When did this, uh, New Jersey say you can reopen a salon? June 22nd. 99 days. And how did, how, what did day one look like? Um, it was, it was fine. Like we tried to like keep the appointments spaced. Um, we had like a very limited capacity. I mean, I was lucky that I had such a large space and I could sort of like move things around and take things out and put people into like 
you know, separate kind of corners. Um, but there, even though I had a huge space, like the capacity limits still wouldn't allow for like my full team to be in there. So I created shifts. So every day we had two shifts. So they had the morning shift and the afternoon shift. It was, <laughs> I kept saying it was like, it's like kindergarten, right? You have two shifts. We're wearing, we wore, um, scrubs coming back to work. So we, like we had our smocks and then we had a break in the middle of the day for an hour. So everybody could like go outside, take their masks off. We could re-sanitize the entire space for the second shift. Um, you know, and those were, were things that I feel like really set me apart. I also installed um, like this killer HVAC system called a Remy Halo. It's an air scrubber. Um, so it basically like sterilizes the air in the space and makes it really, really safe to be in there. And you, you did all this, you picked up these guidelines from just your own research and other businesses around the country, mm -hmm. right? So it wasn't a list yeah. of guidelines. You know, that's, uh, no, no, so the state didn't have this list for you. You had done all this, uh, this homework. That's pretty impressive. I think. Yeah. And then when the state did come out with their list of guidelines, like it was so vague and and they were notorious for giving you like two days notice. Like, I can't tell you how many complaints during this. It'd be like, hey, Tara, you could open up Friday. It's Tuesday. And it'd be like, well, how? <laughs> yeah, uh, what? So that was like an ongoing frustrating, um, certainly from a city government perspective. So I think that was one of the things that like really helped because I was so prepared. The day that they said, you can open tomorrow, we were able to open tomorrow. And was there a line where people were like, yes, like can't wait. Yeah. So I'm big on these forms, right? Like you go online, you fill out your I form. saw on your website, you actually have a COVID waiver form. We have the waiver form. Yeah. Um, and then like our software tracks it, right? So like if a client's coming in and they haven't filled out the waiver, like there's a little like, you know, reminder that can you like the receptionist like send them like, Hey, can you fill out this COVID waiver and make sure, you know, we do like all the temperature checks and sanitizing of the door. But, um, I think we had like 500 responses, like in the first week, like when they said salons could open, I think there were like two weeks. Right. So like they said salons can open June 22nd and there was like maybe 10 days or two weeks. And like, in like the first few days, it went like the form went bananas. I think we had like close to 500 responses of people that wanted to book appointments. And we were just kind of like, <laughs> are we going to like, I was not prepared for this. <laughs> I knew we were going to need to like make appointments, but like it was nuts. And then people were calling and they're like, I didn't get an appointment yet. <laughs> You're on the list. Well, our, don't call website. us. We'll call you. Yes. Yeah. And so just, you know, again, it was just the communication, like the communication with the staff, the communication with the clients and just, it was a lot, but you know, one step at a time, one day at a time. And we, we got through it. And you're one of the businesses that we consider like pandemic proof, you know, like, and, you know, we lost Catsbury and we lost the showroom and, you know, there's clearly been businesses that um, a couple of restaurants that, that, that were not, that unfortunately were not able to survive the pandemic, but you um, purple glaze, like a number of businesses, you know, totally pandemic proof so much so that you've expanded during a pandemic when places are shuttering. Well, about that. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, my, my heart like completely goes out to all of the businesses that 
really suffered through this. And like, I'm not saying that, you know, we didn't have hard, hard days because there were definitely hard days and, and there was a lot of drinking. Um, but, you know, I, I can't imagine what it feels like to, I mean, I, I know, cause I've, you know, messed up businesses and lost businesses before, but like to just have everything that you've worked so hard for, like stripped away. Um, just like, it's like being hit by a meteor. You couldn't plan yeah. for it. You know, it just took everything. And you know, and, and as same said, liquor stores, donuts, pizza, hair, right. Hair. You could, yeah. I mean, there are salons too. I mean, I have, you know, friends that are salon owners that had to close their doors because they just couldn't do it. You know, yeah. like they couldn't, the capacity restrictions and um, just like all the different things, like they just couldn't make it through. And it's, you know, it's heartbreaking. Um, but you what expanded. Was, yeah. What was the question? <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm like feeling, I'm like being sad for like my friends and like, <laughs> Like, yeah, okay, no, the question is like you you kind of blew it up like you yeah. you expanded you've grown and and what do you think that is I think it's um I don't know maybe being prepared um doing I think you can give yourself like a pat on the back. You've had like sounds like you have some pretty sound some sound business practices. No one has. We've talked to a lot of people who. That's have because I really fucked up in the past, though. Like if I didn't really <laughs> right. fuck up some other things in in the past, like I don't think I would be like so like all right, I really got to like move forward on this. I got to keep going. Like okay, this happens, and like this is how we got to like. I think also like I've gotten to a level of calm in my life where like when things get catastrophic, like and my husband, Mike always says this, he's like, you're the person I want in a crisis to be right next to me because for whatever reason, like there's an explosion in front of the salon. There's, there's a pandemic. There's like all kinds of crazy things happening. And I'm just kind of like, okay, so first we're going to do this and then we're going to do that. And I don't know, like just something happens where I just have this like clear vision of we can't panic or we can panic for five minutes. You can cry a little bit, but then you got to like shut it off and we got to get to work here. And so I think for me, it was like, be prepared and do what needs to be done. And so I think I was like, well, what? And like customer service, right? That's, that's like my whole thing, customer service. So like, how can we make the customers feel safe and happy and give them what they need? And I think what everybody needed was to be able to like get what they needed and feel safe and comfortable. And I feel like that we've provided that and it's helped us grow, right? Because there's so many other salons where like, we've had so many new clients come in and say, I was talking to my friend and she said that she comes here and that you could eat off the floor and it's really safe and everybody's really doing what they're supposed to do. And I went to my salon and the girl had her mask hanging from her ear and I didn't feel safe there. And you know, I want to be in a place where I can go and just feel comfortable and know that like, you know, it's the right, they're doing the right thing. And so I've been like very neurotic about it, you know, and I've just been like, we have to do the right thing. We have to show the clients we're doing the right thing. We have to take care of everybody and don't talk about politics and, you know, just like keep positive and everybody stay happy. And if you're sad, like go in my office and cry and then come back out here and like, <laughs> you know, get it together. So. 
Can I say I from think- the consumer point of view, that's that's such an uh, important thing. I've changed business, uh, you know, I've changed uh, nurseries, uh, where, uh, you know, where places where I buy my plants because of the place I used to buy it wasn't taking things seriously. And I didn't, it's like, I don't feel safe coming into your, you know, before, you know, there wasn't a, when, last summer when data was still kind of weird, I switched my whole business. Not that I have, I don't run a business, but I do buy a lot of things from the, mm-hmm. from someone else just because they've just, it seemed like the business owner cared about the safety of their own employees as mm-hmm. well as the customer. And I switched business. So you think, so what, again, this is good business practice on your, on your part, not mm-hmm. politics or anything, just like, People want to be safe and secure. Let's make it safe and secure and business grows, right? Mm-hmm. And so. to, to your other point too, Tara, I think, so I lost my first election and if, but for that, I would never, I learned so much in that loss, um, you know, how to run a campaign, how to just, uh, the only point I'm bringing that up is to say, like, I think that when you fail at something, it is such an opportunity to really, um, you can just never do it again, or you can figure out what you did wrong and do it well. And I've gone on to, you know, like get highest number of votes after that, but I, but yeah. I absolutely lost my first election. No question about it. Yeah. And without that experience, I don't think I would have, I would have been, um, that, that was a much needed experience as yeah. well. So just when we fail at things to our listeners, that is a super opportunity for. It's um, such a huge opportunity. And I think people miss it, you know, totally, like, totally. I think like, like, but anything, right. Like, if you're like, oh, I, I want to lose, you know, five pounds and then like you eat a slice of pizza and you're like, well, the whole day shot. Well, it's not just don't eat another slice of pizza, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, no, totally. I, 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 no, I'm on the like, I'm going to fly this plane into the ground thought. <laughs> plan of day. One pizza equals six and then I'll figure yeah, it out tomorrow. Right. <laughs> or just start fresh tomorrow, right? Get, your, get tomorrow, your carrots right? and celery. Yeah. and we are coming up on the hour so i want to get into you just really really quickly to to tie up so Mm -hmm. you during this pandemic you are pandemic proof you will not take you know the accolades we are trying to throw at you repeatedly during this (laughs) podcast about being pandemic proof and expanding during a pandemic so just put a pin in those accolades for now well you have expanded (laughs) you've gone so just talk about the expansion how people get a hold of you so we took Asbury from 4,000 square feet to 6,000 square feet. We're adding a 600 square foot bridal suite. It is absolutely stunning. Um, you can get married and get your hair and makeup done at, at Hot Mess. Um, it's, it's so beautiful. Like I cannot wait for everyone to see it. Um, we closed the blow dry bar down in Pier Village for COVID. We have not, we just opened this weekend um, as a full salon because I also just signed a lease to open a full service salon, 1500 square feet in Pier Village, hopefully by this summer. Um, we have almost 200 weddings. We're doing them every day of the week this year because people just are dying to get married. And we just want to make everybody feel amazing. Um, at hot mess. And I love my team and I have an incredible husband support system. And like I said, I got to spend time with my girls this year and I love Asbury park, you know, (laughs) (laughs) like I just like I, and Amy, like you are just such a powerhouse. And I I love like when I come to the council and I get to see you speak and and do what you do. And it's just like, I feel so honored to be on here with you. Um, So thank you for being such an incredible (laughs) female to you know stand next to in the city of Asbury Park 
Oh, and I feel like we, I would totally, if we were not out of time, talk about your rule of no politics in the salon. I feel like that would be, I mean, but I feel like such a good rule, such a good rule, right? I mean, there's so many other things to talk about, you know? I bartended for 20 years and I would not let people discuss religion or politics at the Mm -hmm, bar mm -hmm. because after two drinks, it never ended well. Mm -mm. It starts out cordial, but somebody there's always a, someone whose whiskey hits them the wrong way. It's <laughs> the wrong way. <laughs> so, some people get happy and some people get a little bitter. And be like, they get so, sad. Be like, not, not in my bar. Let's keep it. Mm-hmm. You know, let's talk about the Yankees or something yeah. stupid, right? Or something the Mets, simple. whatever. No, that's I, I want to ask one thing before you go. When mm-hmm. you opened, how many employees did you have and how many do you have now? When I opened in 2009, it was me and my chihuahua. Right. <laughs> one dog. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now I have, um, oh, well, I also have another location in Oakhurst, which is my cousin, Jackie, who came up with the name. We opened like a, two months ago. So that's right next to the Rook and town shops on highway 35. So she's over there crushing it. She's like building a team and I'm so proud of her. She is just like trailblazing right, right down the road. I am like, couldn't be happier. So that's really exciting. So that's right next to the Rook. Um, I have four locations. I have over 30 employees, um, 200 weddings this year. And and you're psyched about that. A new dog. <laughs> I got a puppy this year too. I got a pandemic puppy. She's nuts. <laughs> Puppies are I, nuts. As I if never, I needed I anything else on my dogs. plate. Um, I was like a friend of my husband's who had like dogs and he was like, let's get this dog. And I was like, okay. And we did. And now I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> Too funny. Tara, thank you so much. Um, Shared Universe, thank you so much. And we'll probably air this in about a week because I just actually did Purple Glaze today. Uh, Tara, Um, what's your website and your Instagram handle for people who are listening? um, Hotmessstudio.com is our website. And at Hotmessstudio is our um, Instagram. And I'm the diary of a hot mess. Thanks for crushing it, Tara. Yeah, so, Tara, thanks, thanks so much for, for having coming. me. I'm, I'm, I feel so incredibly grateful to be here today. So thank you. Oh, so much. we're so happy to have you. All right, later. Thanks, everybody.